little bit about this idea, but uh, our vision that we, we mention this to you every week, so this is kind of old hat, but our vision and our mission is that we want to be a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. And we knew several years ago when we kind of landed on the idea of family, we knew that that had the potential uh, to be a, a difficult or jarring metaphor for some people. Typically, when people hear about family, there are uh, a couple of reactions. One is positive. Oh, church as a family? I love that idea. I'm thankful for that idea because of the family I grew up in. And you're close to your brothers and your sisters. You're close to your parents. And the idea of church being a spiritual family is comforting to you. It is rah-rah to you. You get it completely. But I know that there's often another reaction, and, and it's a negative one. That for some people, their family, nuclear family grew, growing up, uh, that was not a positive experience and that it was not a good experience. And when you hear, man, we want to be a growing family, journeying, to be, journeying together to be more like Jesus, told you sentences were going to be hard today, uh, a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus, you think, man, spiritual family, no thanks. I, I'm going to pass on that. I've already uh, had one family that, that was a real a real handful, and you have that reaction. And I want you to know that when we talk about uh, being a growing family, when we talk about family, we're talking about it uh, in the most positive sense that you can. That we want to be a growing family, but we want to be a healthy family. We want to be a good family full of good relationships. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about the relationships that happen within this family. So if you have your Bibles, open them up um, to Matthew uh, 22. Matthew 22, and so one of the questions that I get often through the years has been this. Um, can I be a Christian and just like skip the whole church thing? Right, this, this is a person that usually, it's coming from a place of hurt and they've had a, a negative, uh, a negative uh, experience at church or a negative experience in relationships and they ask, can, Jesus I'm cool with, I, I'm, I'm all good being with Jesus, but can I like skip the whole relationship element of it? Can, can I skip the whole uh, church thing? That I like Jesus, I don't care for Christians. Right, that, that's kind of what's um, under, underneath that. And like I said, I wanna be sensitive to that because I know um, that that comes from a place of hurt, but allow me a metaphor just for a minute. Um, imagine that you invited me over for dinner and you said, Steve, we would love for you to come over for dinner. We would rather you not bring Cheryl. Or if you said to Cheryl, Cheryl, we would love for you to come over for dinner. We'd rather you not bring Steve. Now, my reaction to that, if you say, Steve, you can come over, but don't bring Cheryl. We'd rather her not be at our house. I'm going to have a, an initial negative reaction to that. My second reaction is going to be, what are you cooking? But my first reaction, <laughs> no. <laughs> My first reaction is going to be, I'm not doing that, right? I'm absolutely not doing that because we're kind of a package deal. And the Bible says uh, that, that Jesus considers the church to be his bride. Uh, and listen, I want to be clear on this. Christ is perfect. Jesus Christ is perfect. The church is not. And so it is harder to love the church than it is to love Jesus, it's supposed to be harder. Jesus is perfect. Jesus has never sinned. Jesus has never done, said, or behaved in the wrong way. Jesus has never done any of that thing. It is harder to love the church because the church, if you look around, the person next to you, the person on stage, the people leading us in worship, everybody here is a sinner. Everybody here has said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, behaved in the wrong way. Welcome to Northwest. Right? You're, everybody here has made mistakes. 
And so the church by nature is harder to love, but the Bible says about Jesus that he loves his bride. He loves his bride so much so that he gave himself up for her. Jesus saw the church as this kind of messed up, wonderful, beautiful thing. Like I said, so much so that he died for her. So here's what that means for you and I. And this is hard for some of you that have had negative church experience. And listen, you, you've heard my story a couple times, me too. I've had bad churches, church experience as well. We have to find a way to love this bride. We have to find a way to love the bride because Jesus loves the bride. So some of you, you have absolutely no trouble loving the bride. And some of your best and worst moments, just like me, in your best and worst moments, your nuclear family has been there for you and your spiritual family has been there for you. And, and that's just your experience. Oh, love the bride? Sign me up. I love the bride. But I know others of you struggle with this. Others of you have a hard time with this because of your past experience. And I want to say, if you'll go on a journey with me, I hope by the end of this sermon that we can see the bride. We can see the relationships, even though they're kind of messed up, and even though we're all sinners, that we can see this thing as a beautiful thing the way God intended it to be. All right, Matthew 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when you read Matthew 22, there have been a series of tests in this text uh, that are given to Jesus by the religious leaders in order to trap him and in order to trick him, to, to use something against him that they might arrest him. Their plan is to eventually kill him, which obviously they do and he defeats the grave. But uh, the question in this particular text is, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in, in all the law? And it's a trick question. Because you see, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. 365 of them are you shall not uh, and uh, 248 are you shall. And so one of the greatest debates in the religious leaders of Jesus's day was they would say, there is no way anybody could possibly obey 613 commands. Nobody could ever do it. And they're right. That's why we need a savior. That's why the law points us to Jesus. But they would say, there's no way anybody could obey 613 commands. So some commands must be heavier and some commands must be lighter. In other words, some commands must surely be more important to God, and some commands must not be as important to God at all. And so they are asking Jesus to step into this debate. Jesus, what commands are heavier? Jesus, what commands are more important? Jesus, what commands does God care about the most? And it's a trap. Because here's what's going to happen. If Jesus says, what is, the, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, I'd say the greatest commandment is you shall not murder. Let's say Jesus says that. I would say the greatest command is you shall not murder. Now the Pharisees and teachers of law are able to say, did you hear the way that your teacher dissed the Sabbath? Or the way that he dissed honoring your father and your mother? We have no trouble seeing how this happens in our culture, right? 
right? There are traps like this laid for politicians and celebrities all the time. This is a trap. If he affirms one command over the other, they're going to say, look, he devalues honoring. He devalues Sabbath. He, de- he devalues um, uh, fidelity in marriage. Th- that they're going to they're gonna say that he devalues certain parts of the law above the other. And this is what makes Jesus's answer in verse 37 so brilliant. Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And look at verse 40. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commands. So Jesus is affirming there are no unimportant commandments. They all hang on two commandments. See, but one of the temptation when you realize the weight of the law, one of the temptation to make ourselves feel better is to say, well, some commandments must be more important and some commandments must be less important and the ones that we obey tend to be more important and the ones that we disobey tend to be less important. It's human nature, we all do it. And Jesus says, no, there's no unimportant commands. Keep the weight on the law. Allow allow the law to drive you to Jesus. See, Jesus' solution to the law problem was not to devalue the law. The, 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 The thing that Jesus chose instead to do was to come up with a solution to our sin problem. And so he says, man, all the law, all the prophets, they hang on one of these two commandments. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And you can see it all throughout scripture. In the 10 commandments, the first four commands are love God commands. Like have no other gods before me. Don't misuse my name. Worship me alone. The next six are relational commands, right? Love your neighbor commands. Commands like do not murder. Honor your father and mother. Don't lie. So the first four are love God. The next six are love others. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commands. And I think that we would, none of us would be surprised uh, to know that there are commandments that have to do with our relationship with God. It's very important. And I think we all would affirm that it's very important. What may surprise you is that out of 10 commands in the 10 commandments, six have to do with the way you love others. Uh, I think that would surprise some of us because we might put a greater weight to the loving God commands, but six out of 10 have to do with our relationship to other people and relationships with other people have always been very important to God. You see it in the garden. Remember when God uh, created the garden? He's like, man, all of this is very good, right? The stars are good. The, The sun is good. The dogs are good. The cats are eh. They're okay, but for the most part, everything's good. And then he says, there's one thing that's not good, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So you see the very first story of your Bible that relationships are important God. It's not good for man to do this thing alone. You were created for relationship. Yes, relationship with God, of course, relationship with God, but you were created for relationships with other people as well. It's why when God was putting a plan together to ultimately bring Jesus, he didn't just kind of poof and bring Jesus onto the planet. He goes through and he creates a family and then he creates a nation. He creates a people through which his savior would come. It's why when that savior finally did come, he didn't go through this journey by himself. As a matter of fact, he gathered around about 12 good friends and they journeyed through it together and he challenged them, but sometimes he asked them uh, to pray for him and to be there for him. So it was kind of a reciprocal thing in that way. But when Jesus came, he engaged in relationships. And it's why when Jesus was finally leaving this planet to go back to heaven through his Holy Spirit, he establishes the church. 
He establishes the church because the church is hugely important and relationships are hugely important. We have a temptation to think right now that in, in this current culture, that relationship with God is everything and relationship with people doesn't matter as much. And I'm just telling you, the Bible does not bear that out. The Bible does not bear that reality out. That four, com- four of the 10 have to do with your relationship with God, which is hugely important. Six out of 10 have to do with the way we love and care for each other. So this is important to God. As a matter of fact, as you read through the New Testament, I've shared this list with you before, but you come across, especially in the writings of Paul and the other epistles, you start to see one after another of what is called one another statements. So he's writing to these churches and he's saying, this is how you treat one another because relationships are important to God. Let me show you this on the screen. John 15, 12, love one another. Romans 12, 5, be members of one another. Romans 12, 10, honor one another. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, 13, don't pass judgment on one another. Romans 14, 19, build up one another. Romans 15, 5, be like-minded toward one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, care for one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another in love. Galatians 5, 26, don't provoke or envy one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another. Colossians 3, 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12, abound in love toward one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, comfort one another. Titus 3, 3, don't hate one another. Hebrews 3, 13, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24, stir up one another toward love and good deeds. James 4, 11, don't slander one another. James 5, 9, don't bear grudges against one another. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another. 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another. 1 John 1, 7, forgive uh, fellowship with one another. 1 John 3, 11, love one another. Again and again and again, the New Testament is hitting on this idea of one of one in the, there it comes on. <laughs> Thank you. I'm dying up here. <laughs> the Lord gives. All right. Um, I've been pushing that min- button for 20 minutes. All right. Um, so this is hugely important to God. All right. And uh, relationships are, and I think that they're really important uh, for two reasons that I want to share with you is one is the relationships within this church family are intended to be a blessing to you. So in the verse that I just read, when he says, uh, bear one another's burdens, half that truth, half of the idea of that truth is that someone would be bearing your burdens. When it says accept one another, half that truth is that you would find acceptance. When it says forgive one another, half of that truth is that you would find forgiveness. Right? When it says help one another, half that truth is that you would find help uh, in this place and amongst uh, these people. That this uh, church family called Northwest Christian Church, we are a people first, uh, that, but we are a people who are meant to be a blessing to you. A people who are meant to encourage you and help you. And yes, at times hold you accountable as you go through life. Because I know a couple things. I know one, that life can be hard. And it absolutely can be hard. I look back on some of the hardest moments of my life. I told you earlier. And and there are two families that have been there for me. My nuclear family and my spiritual family. 
right? And, and I look back and I can just see the, the, the blessing that family uh, has, has been uh, to me. And the other thing I know is that the journey to be more like Jesus, the journey that we're on is hard. I do, not want to be, I do not want to go on the journey to be more like Jesus by myself. I need people to encourage me, say, man, Steve, you're doing great. I need people to challenge me. Steve, that does, you do not look like Jesus when you did that, right? When, when, when you did that, you did not look like Jesus, and I need to know I am not alone, and you have a group around you here, I'm telling you, that is dying to encourage you and bless you and help you. We are not a perfect family. You'll notice that our vision statement does not say that. We are a perfect family. Growing, in, growing together to be more like Jesus. We are not a perfect family, we are not. Uh, but we are an honest family, and we are a family that is striving to be a healthy family. Several years ago, uh, Scott was preaching on this idea, and he made a reference to a movie um, uh, called March of the Penguins. And after his sermon, I had to go and watch this movie. And I, I found it so interesting, because in March of the Penguins, they show how um, uh, living in the tundra for one penguin by himself, that would be a death sentence. There's no way the penguin could ever survive. Um, and at, at some point in the journey, uh, when uh, the mother penguin has her eggs, she'll go off to find food, and she'll leave the eggs behind for the dads to guard. And it's in the, the, the worst part of winter that this happens. And the penguins do something really interesting. They form a circle around each other. They huddle in together. And uh, they just naturally do this. But at, at one point, certain penguins will find themselves on the inside where they can get warm and they can uh, uh, stay out of the wind and they can get help in that way. They'll find themselves on the inner part of the circle and just naturally they begin to shift towards the outside and then the outside penguins end up on the inside and the inside penguins end up on the outside. They take turns getting warm and they take turns being there uh, for, for each other. And that's, I think it's a great vision for the church of what the church should strive to be, a place where, man, you can come in here we want to be a church where you can come in here and you can get warm if you need to. If you're beat up, if you're hurting, if you're struggling, we want to be a people where you can come in here and you can get warm if you need to get warm. You can heal if you need to heal. Uh, you can pick yourself up if you need to pick yourself up. But eventually, as you heal and as you uh, take steps forward, uh, eventually as you get stronger, that just naturally you find yourself kind of on the outside of the circle making room for someone else that needs to get warm making room for someone else that needs some help, making room for someone else that needs to get stronger. And that is a powerful vision of the church, I think. That man, there are times where I need to get, uh, there are times where I need to be in the middle of the circle. I need people praying for me, encouraging me, helping me. And then there are times where I am stronger and I can say, no, someone else get in there. Now I wanna encourage you. Now I wanna help you. Now I wanna be there for you so you can get stronger. So this thing called relationship in the church it is meant to be a blessing to you. Here's the second thing it's meant to be. It is meant to be a responsibility for you. So God does intend that you will get stronger and that you will get on your own two feet and you will eventually kind of move to the outside of the circle so a new person can take the inside of the circle. God wants you to receive a blessing, but he also wants you to give a blessing. That's why half that equation that, that I read is when God says, man, encourage one another, half, that half of that equation is that you would be encouraged. The other half is that you would give encouragement to somebody that needs it. 
When it says, man, help one another, half that is that you would be helped. The other half is that you would help someone else. When, when the Bible says forgive one another, half of that is that you would be forgiven. The other half is that you would find yourself forgiving someone else, that we are not just called to consume. I worry about this with the American church right now. Consume, consume, consume. I blame Netflix. I do, where we can just kind of get on at any point and listen to whatever and uh, just stream kind of one thing right after another. We finally actually just changed the settings on ours so you can't do that. And uh, Cheryl and I were watching some TV last night. I'm like, why do we do this? This is super annoying. That Every show I have to enter a code in now. Um, but we did it to avoid this very thing because all of a sudden we'd be watching again and again and then we'd look up and it'd be like, it is midnight. I have to get up at five. I'm gonna not be a good pastor tomorrow. I'm gonna yell at someone right? And it was just because one show right after another, we said, no, let's, and so now, you know, the code thing comes on, you have to enter the code, and it's like, oh, it's 11 o'clock, we probably ought to go uh, to bed, but it, it is this consumption mentality, and God's family is meant to be a place of blessing, but it is also meant to be a, be, to be a place of responsibility, and if you have a healthy family, your family works the same way, you have responsibility, uh, you have blessing for your kids, you bless them in profound ways, but you also have responsibility for them, and God's family is the same way. We've started to notice this thing with Lila, uh, she'll be two in November, and uh, we'll have snack time at our house where she'll have like some goldfish and uh, some milk, and uh, we'll have her in her high chair, and she'll be up there, and she'll start eating the goldfish. She, she loves eating these goldfish. And all of a sudden, we'll just kind of notice out of the corner of our eye, she'll take a goldfish, and her arm just goes to the outside. It's for Daisy, our dog. <laughs> and she'll just hold it out there, and all of a sudden, Daisy and Lila are best friends in, in that moment. And, and Lila comes up, and I like to think that she is understanding this principle, I know she's not, but I like to think that she is. That man, family is meant to be a thing of blessing. I receive the goldfish, but family is meant to be a place of responsibility. I give the goldfish away. And that's the way church is meant to operate. Now here's the thing, she'll be two in November. I know a day is coming where she is going to learn a word called mine. Mine. I learned this with my other child. That they learn this word somehow. I didn't teach it to them. Cheryl didn't. They learn it somehow. They learn this word mine, and all of a sudden, the is going to end. And it's going to be goldfish for me, goldfish for me, mine, 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 mine. And I worry that the global church has fallen into this a little bit. That when church is meant to be a healthy place of blessing and responsibility toward others, I worry that in some churches we have adopted a mindset of me, 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 mine, 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 mine. And a healthy church finds a balance of both those things. Um, it, it finds a balance of blessing, but also calling people to, uh, to, to sacrifice calling people to responsibility, calling people to, uh, if you have found your time, if you've uh, enjoyed time on the inside of the circle with the penguins surrounding you and helping you and encouraging you, that at some point, all right, and I'm not saying it needs to be today, but at some point you do find yourself on the outside of the circle saying, let me make room for others, 
right? Let me love them and encourage them and, and, and help them to get warm and to get strong and to move forward. And so what I am talking about, the way you find this balance, it only happens in the context, I think, of healthy relationships. You know, every relationship has a curve to it. Uh, uh, this is true. If, even if you take like a dating relationship, every relationship has a curve to it. So at the beginning of every relationship, all right, there is a period of excitement where you don't know each other very well, but everything is sunshine and roses. You might hear birds chirping, a bluebird on your shoulder, right? This is the first few months of the relationships where he or she is perfect and everyone around you is going, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The shoe is going to drop. And during this part of the relationship where it is like birds chirping, bluebird on your show, all of that, during this phase of the relationship, is it easy to buy into that this is the healthy period of the relationship? And it's really not. It's really not the healthy part of the relationship because you really don't even know each other yet. Until you know what bugs you about them, it's not healthy. Right, And so th this really is not the healthy part of the relationship yet. The, the relationship becomes healthy or breaks up, but hopefully becomes healthy in the next phase. The next phase is the part where you discover, it's called the crisis phase, where you discover that the person you're in a relationship, it could be dating, it could be just friendship, it could be whatever, but you discover that they have issues. <laughs> and they have annoyances, right? And, and that they have things that drive the snot out of you. That's a biblical phrase, right? And th this is the part of the relationship where, where you discover that. And especially if you're just in a dating relationship, it may be a time where it's like, well, th this thing needs to end. I, I can't do this for 40 years, right? The, the socks need to come off the floor into the hamper. It's, I'm not going to survive, right? Or, or the big one that I often hear about is uh, loading the dishwasher, um, I've counseled a lot of couples through loading the dishwasher and pre-marriage counseling, but um, it is in this crisis phase where you are discovering their issues and you are discovering their shortcomings. And again, I'm not talking about end of the world stuff, but you're discovering where they fall short. This is the context where a relationship could find its way to true love uh, uh, and uh, a relationship could find its way into health. And here's what I want you to know. Almost all of the one another statements in the New Testament were written in the context of a crisis. So to get back to church talk, right? Um, to get back to church talk, these ch churches started with a bang, they were growing, they were loving, everything was perfect, everything was good, and all of a sudden they're realizing that the people that they're in fellowship with have issues, have annoyances, they are disagreeing over things, and they don't know how to handle it. Like, how do I handle it when I don't, when we're not getting along, when, when we're not unified, when, when things are going south? How do I handle that? And Paul and some of the other New Testament writers, they write these one another statements to help the church weed through these problems. So what do you do? When your eyes are open, maybe for the first time, and the person that you're sitting next to, you, you realize they have a lot of needs, I'm not talking about inappropriately needy, an inappropriately needy person. I'm talking about just you get past the hellos, you think you like each other, you're becoming friends, and you discover that behind their smile, there is a lot of legit pain. What do you do in that moment? Do you give up? Do you turn your back? What do you do? Here's Paul's advice. Bear one another's burdens. What do you do uh, when the person you're getting to know and, and you realize they have a past, 
They seem like they've grown a lot and they seem that they're different now, but they have a past and it makes you uncomfortable. What do you do? Do you gossip? Do you go to Facebook? Do you distance yourself? What do you do? Paul says, forgive one another. What do you do when the person that you're getting to know, when they kind of hurt you, they're, they're sorry, they feel terrible, but it happened and the words can't be taken back. What do you do? Do you destroy them? Do you hurt them back? Do you walk away? And Paul says, don't hold grudges against one another. And we could do this all day long. Paul says, what do you do when you're attending a church or you're attending a group of people and all of a sudden what was rainbows and kisses and unicorns becomes, oh, these are real people, they're messed up and they have real problems. What do you do? Paul gives us the one another list. Forgive one another, bear with one another, be patient with one another, love one another. And that's not to say that boundaries sometimes don't need to be enforced. Obviously, boundaries need to be enforced. And that's not to say that maybe a friendship won't work out or maybe a dating relationship won't work out. It's not to say any of that. But it is to say that church is sometimes messy. And church is sometimes hard. And we are very quick to give up. But Paul says, don't give up so quickly. One another through this. One another through this one another through this. Because there will come a point in every relationship where you see a person, you see something in a person you don't like. And you might see their sin, you might see their shortcomings, you might see an annoying habit. There comes a point in every relationship where that happens, and guess what? It happens with them in your direction as well. I know it is so hard for us to believe that. But there came a point where someone looked at me and was like, oh, yeah, you know. I didn't realize that was there. What do you do in that moment? One another. You one another through it. And you try to seek the Lord's direction and you try to seek godly counsel. And if it's something you can't get over, that's maybe another category for another day. But you one another through it and you come through on the other side. And this whole thing called the church is a beautiful, beautiful mess. It is, because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I studied all week to tell you this. When it says all, it means all. Everyone but Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means relationships get messy. That means relationships get hard. That means we don't always know what to do. And Paul's advice is one another through it. Paul's advice is not just overlook their sin. Paul's advice is not just forget about their sin. Paul's Paul's advice is one another through it. Be messy. Be consistent. Be uh, motivated to get into the trenches and love one another because it's what he has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that he saw us in our mess. He saw us in our dysfunction and he decided to join the mess. He decided to leave heaven and come to earth and join us. And he got dirty in that way. He got messy in that way. He made it difficult on himself in that way because relationships were so important to him. And I know that this is super hard because um, we've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. And for a preacher to stand on a stage and just say, oh, one another through it, forgive, maybe is offensive. But I think it's what you've called us to do. 
you've called us into the mire of relationships. You've called us into the dirt and grit and grime of relationships. And you are calling us to one another through it. We need your grace. We need your wisdom. We need your help. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.